I've lived in Afghanistan, I've lived in Japan, I've lived in Cuba, in Paris, in China. I feel more alive living abroad. Everything is a learning experience. You can't help but to learn. Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg filling in for Carvel Wallace. And my voice might be familiar to some of you who are listening, um, in which case, thank you for being a longtime listener. And for those of you who do not know who I am, that's totally fine. I'm Charles. I was the first host of How To, and I'm the author of a few books, including The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better, and an upcoming book that comes out next February called Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. And connection, interestingly enough, is at the heart of today's show, because of this question that we got from our listener, Sarah. I wrote in with the question of how to move to a foreign country, although it is funny because I'm not exactly a fresh expat. Sarah grew up in Michigan and went to college in Chicago, where, like a lot of students, she participated in a study abroad program and loved it. But when she came back to the U.S. and graduated, the future inside the U.S. did not look that rosy. The, the 2008 financial crisis was in full swing, and so there weren't that many jobs. And then even if she could find a job, Sarah wasn't certain what she wanted to do with her life. But one thing that did look very attractive, going to Spain and spending a year in Madrid with her friends. I was in my 20s, and it kind of felt like, in some sense, like life was a game, it was an adventure, you know, it was fun, and it was kind of like, oh, you know, if this doesn't work out, no big deal, just go back home. So Sarah signed up for one of those Teach English Abroad programs, and she found herself in a town about an hour from Madrid. In the middle of nowhere with like 6,000 people. Um, so it was definitely <laughs> not the, it wasn't the Spain I was expecting. <laughs> You're in your early 20s. You've never lived in Spain before. Did did you speak Spanish at that point or not yet? Uh, I mean, I studied Spanish in school, but you don't realize how little you know until you... Right. There's a big difference between the classroom. And so you arrive in this town of 6,000 people, this young American who kind of speaks Spanish and kind of doesn't. I mean, what was... What was that like? Like, what do you remember about that first year? Well, okay, so one story that is really, I look back now, now I laugh, but in the moment when I realized what I did, I I didn't think it was very funny. So one day I thought, oh, you know, I can speak Spanish. Why don't I just go to a bar and have, you know, a lunch by myself? So I went into this bar in this small town in the middle of nowhere, and I and I used a word that I thought was like the casual word for a beer. And I realized that it's actually a sexually explicit word for for ladies' parts. <laughs> so I said it, and the bartender asked me to repeat it, and I repeated it again. <laughs> The second time. And then I finally said, oh, I'll have a beer. And then he said, ah, okay. As the months ticked by, those funny, embarrassing mishaps became increasingly rare, and Sarah began to feel settled at, at home. And eventually she made some great friends, including a guy she fell in love with, a Spanish citizen who she ended up marrying. And so they moved to Barcelona, and she found a local job, and together they built a life, a, a real life. My husband and I, we were living together in Barcelona, and then we moved to Madrid um, like four years ago. So I'd actually been living in Madrid most recently. And then you're pregnant and you have a baby. And then and then what happens? Yes. So I thought probably, you know, unless we go to the U.S., which I'd have to convince my husband, probably I'll stay in Spain for the rest of my life. So it was funny then that the person who had the opportunity to leave Spain was my husband. 
Sarah's husband essentially got the dream job, the the thing that all of us are always trying to get, a great salary, a solid career trajectory. The only catch? The location was about a thousand miles away in Switzerland. But it was an opportunity they'd be crazy to pass up. So they packed up their life and they moved to Zurich. Well, technically a small town just outside of Zurich. There's nature everywhere and it's, you know, it's super clean. It's really easy to get around and you're seeing, you know, mountains and waterfalls. I mean, the cliche Swiss, you know, stereotypes are absolutely true. Like I see cows almost every day. But the beautiful scenery has not made it easy to make friends, especially when you don't even speak the local language. Everyone is super nice and friendly, but then, you know, you feel a little bit like an idiot because you're walking and people are clearly trying to chat and be friendly. And, you know, I can only say a handful of words. So you feel as well a little bit bad, like people are looking at you like you must be kind of rude. So where does this leave Sarah? I mean, she's made an international move once before, and surely this can't be that different, right? Actually, it's proving pretty tough for her. When you move abroad... There's so many challenges. So now I kind of am finding myself in this situation and feeling, feeling frustrated, definitely. On today's show, how to find your people and yourself in a foreign country. And to help us figure it out, we have enlisted the help of a veteran globetrotter. My name is Nasima Sefi. I'm a physician, a global health specialist, a health tech strategist, a content curator, a novelist, and an explorer currently based in Rabat, Morocco. Nasim has lived in 10 countries over five continents, so she definitely knows what it's like to start over and over and over again in a new place. And she has some secrets for making that transition, if not seamless, at least a little bit easier. Stay with us. See, let me ask, why have you moved so many times? <laughs> well, I, I think of myself as a global nomad, and I'm happiest outside of the United States. So I'm of Iranian heritage, but I was born and raised in the States, and as soon as I could get out, I did. Having moved 10 times in 10 different countries, like that gives you a lot of experience on how to build community and how to find new friends in a new place and how to... How to feel settled in that place and how to find your life. What's your insights about what it's like to be in a new place? Oh, I have lots of advice, which which I'm often giving to people who want to live the kind of life that I'm living, or at least think they do. And in this case, in terms of Sarah, who's actually really quite experienced as an expat, I think she knows this stuff already. But I'm going to tell you what I tell my friends who've never lived abroad. Number one piece of advice, if it's in your control, move somewhere where you have at least one generous friend. That's all you need. Mm. Like if you have a friend who's generous, he or she doesn't even need to be from that country. They will open up everything to you. Everything is just much, much easier. And if you don't have that, look for a generous friend of a friend. I think that's really smart. My family, we lived in Brooklyn, New York, and in 2020, we moved to Santa Cruz, California. 
um, mm-hmm. which is not as big a deal as moving from Barcelona to Switzerland <laughs> or or to Rabat, Morocco. But for us, it felt like this really big shift. You know, we were moving to a place where basically we didn't know anyone. My son was going to a school, and one of the things the school did is they they assigned us a mentor family. And just as you just mentioned, Asim, the family was so generous. Like they would invite us to parties and they would invite us to barbecues and they'd take us on hikes. And that mm-hmm. spirit of generosity made all the difference in the world because suddenly, suddenly, even if we didn't have a big community, we felt like we had a a way into a community. And just the relief of that was amazing. Exactly. Sarah, let me ask you, have you found a generous friend? I think there are a couple of people that I can tap into. It's definitely a bit, though, feeling, and and I know I have to get over it, of, like, not wanting to, like, be the annoying person or, you know, the person who's taking too much when I feel like I don't really have anything to offer them, if, if that makes sense. Once you find that generous friend, you pass on the good karma and you be that generous friend to the next person, even a random person who you don't know, uh, who reaches out to you. This happens to me all the time. Uh, Some people don't have time for it and some people have all the time in the world for it because it gives them meaning and purpose too. So I wouldn't worry too much about being a taker. It's interesting because after we had lived in Santa Cruz for a couple of years, that same school asked us to be a host family for or a mentor family for a new family that was moving here from the UK. And and I was so grateful. I was so grateful to be able to give back in the way that someone had given to me. Nassim, can, can you give us an example of a time when you moved somewhere and it was especially frustrating at first? And, and how did you overcome that? Funny enough, the the hardest move for me was when I was a medical student and I moved from Seattle, which is my hometown, to Washington, D.C. And I didn't know anyone in D.C., but there were these 49 other medical students. And I thought, naturally, I'm just going to hit it off with at least some of them. And, you know, it's the loneliest I've ever felt. I reached out to everybody I knew to say, who do you know in Washington, D.C.? And I ended up meeting uh, the daughter of my parents' friend, who to this day is one of my best friends. I ended up meeting the aunt and uncle of another friend who were just amazing to me. And I got to mentor them when they ended up moving to Seattle. So, yeah, I've been there. Well. One of the things I hear you saying that makes a lot of sense to me, and that now that you've said it, I see it in my own life, is it's very humbling to be new. But I do find that every time I've moved, when I have said to folks, I'm in a new place and I don't know anyone and and I feel like a loser because I can't I can't make friends. All of a sudden, the entire world sort of comes to my aid. And you meet these people who I never would have met any other way, except that we knew like a cousin who had a friend who had a girlfriend in common. And on Facebook, they say, you should meet Jim. And six months later, Jim is my best friend. I'm wondering, Sarah, for you, have you pulled that ripcord yet? Have you sent out that email to friends and to family saying, I'm in a new place. It's hard being here. Tell me who I should talk to. I think I'm definitely in that moment as far as knowing that, especially um, as Nassim said, I do have, you know, European contacts and I know 
that if I was to reach out to kind of my wider network, probably people would have contacts. And it's just kind of that feeling afraid of not wanting to be a burden. And then even from kind of a career standpoint of like not wanting, you know, to raise your hand up as far as like you need a job, but you also don't want to declare to everyone that you're unemployed. That's a totally natural reaction. But here's our first big lesson. Try to find a generous friend or a generous friend of a friend. And the way to do that? Ask everyone you know. And you can even take it a step further. And I have another idea for you, Sarah, based on a, a, another experience I had. I uh, met the Spaniard. We got married and moved to Turkey. And I mean, the marriage was a disaster, which may or may <laughs> not have had anything to do with Turkey. Okay, we moved to Istanbul with the one generous friend. A year later, we leave it and we have a party with a hundred people. So through the work that I did, we had a lot of friends when we left. And then we moved to this tiny little town in Turkey where I did know one person, but he left like a week later and he left me there. And I wasn't sure, like, are we married? Are we not married? Is this going to work out? Is this not going to work out? And I was embarrassed. I mean, we had not been ver married very long and... I didn't want to make that embarrassing information public. I moped for a month and worked on a novel. And then what I ended up doing was inviting all my nearest and dearest friends to come visit me and to help me explore this new place. Hmm. And I tell you, it wasn't engaging with the place per se, but because they came, I all of a sudden took it more seriously to look at the place with traveler's eyes instead of like sad, jilted, you know, wife's eyes. And we explored it with friends and I spent some time with dear people. And of course, it didn't hurt that it was a beautiful place, just like where you're living. So people did come and that reinvented the place for me. Yeah, I like that it's more of exactly that you're offering something in return for kind of, yeah, more of an equal relationship. I love this advice. Being a tourist in your new town might feel like the complete opposite of what you're trying to do, which is to blend in like a local. But, but if you can convince some of your friends from home to come over and join you in exploring a new place, you get to see why it's exciting again through their eyes. And it's a lot easier to meet other people when you have some companions with you. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Nassim has a few tips for us about what to do when you feel that, that sense of losing control. So, don't go anywhere. We're back with Sarah, an expat who's trying to settle in Switzerland, and Dr. Nassim Asefi, a self-proclaimed global nomad. And this next piece of advice from Nassim actually stems from her day job, and, and it's a really important piece of advice for new moms like Sarah. Try to make sure your health is in order before you change countries, because hmm. it can be difficult and alienating to navigate a new healthcare system in a different language. 
I think that's such great advice because I had that happen to me in Spain. I went to like four hospitals in the rain, you know, super sick because I didn't mm -hmm. know who would take me. And then here recently, you know, I, I, th I obviously didn't learn my lesson because I had to go to the doctor and as well, I had to go to two or three different doctors and I had a very negative experience until I figured out the right situation. So having that sorted before you need uh, medical care is, is definitely a good idea. And one of the things I hear you saying this scene, which I think is really wise, is there's physical health, our, our bodies and making sure that, that we have a doctor close by, but there's also our mental health. And having a kid is wonderful, but also challenging. And there are all of these changes that happen as a result, not only in our lives, but within our own brains and our bodies. And in your relationship, too. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I think as well, it's kind of what, you know, I'm talking about the move, but and it is definitely related to it. But before we had our child, I was, you know, very clear about not wanting to lose my identity. And I kind of had everything figured out in terms of the childcare, the babysitter, like, you know, I had it all sorted. And then coming here and realizing that childcare costs literally four times the amount of money is, is suddenly kind of like feeling like, okay, I thought I had like a control of maintaining myself as a person while being a parent. And now suddenly I'm kind of, I've lost that sense of control and that sense of identity that I work so hard to, to keep. I hear you. I do have a child and I love Spain and I speak the language fluently, but I ended up moving back to Morocco because I had those systems in place and they were far more affordable. One of the things I heard you say, Sarah, that I think is really important is this idea of control. Our identity is often wrapped up in our control and it's also wrapped up in where we are living and, and the choices we get to make. And even if you're not moving abroad, when we lose control, it's just stressful. It challenges everything about how we think about ourselves. We feel, we feel like we're out of control. Like we can't put our hands around the things that matter to us most. And I think that when we move, that gets exacerbated because there's just some things you can't control because you don't speak the language or you don't know who to turn to with a certain question. And I imagine that's one of the stresses. Is that is that right? Definitely. And I'm someone who, I don't know, I would call myself a control freak, but I'm definitely very organized. And yeah, even like something as simple as finding a handyman to come and hang pictures took took us four months to find someone, you know, so something that's like right. some, some things that are so easy to do become a huge challenge when you're abroad. And Nassim, let me ask you, because I imagine you've been through this a lot. When we're in a situation like that, where we've lost our, the control that we normally have, what can we do to feel back in control, to remind ourselves that we are, we are in the driver's seat, we get to make choices? Well, I totally relate to you, Sarah. I'm also a control freak. But if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's it's that we're not really in the driver's seat um, at all, that life is all about uncertainty and control is an illusion. We can have objective pain or stressors, but how we react to it, like whether we suffer or not, is up to us. So your attitude is up to you, but you really are out of control in a foreign environment, in a foreign language. Part of thriving in general, but particularly in a foreign environment, is to um, allow ourselves to feel stupid 
and, and to allow ourselves to fail and to let go of perfectionism, um, to learn from our mistakes and to laugh about it. And I mean, Sarah started with the story in the bar in Castilla-La Mancha. And, and she has all of those traits. You know, she was able to laugh about it. You know, she could be mortified in the moment, but laugh about it and turn it into a funny story. And, and I think that particular skill is super important to thriving in a foreign environment. You know, when I was in my early 20s in Spain, I was probably able to take that approach more because I didn't really care if I ever got settled. So now I think maybe it's more of a challenge for me because I am trying to kind of be established in a more, you know, solid life aspect rather than kind of like, oh, it's just a fun adventure. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if there's ways for you to to lower that pressure and like if we can find ways if we force ourselves to laugh at ourselves and force force ourselves to see the humor in these situations that otherwise would be so frustrating it also helps us remember that that even though even though it's hard right now and it seems like it might not get better it's only been five months, right? I, Definitely. I mean, I think it, it absolutely is the is the long game. And when I think as well about my early years in Spain, I did, even though, you know, it was fun when I started dating my husband, I started looking for more serious jobs in a career standpoint. And I had definitely several years in which I struggled and I made it through kind of the other end. So I was able to get settled and I'm trying to remind myself that it took me a while to get yeah. settled before and I need to be patient. But course, it's easy to say, be patient when, when you're not patient. One aspect of an international move that often tests our patience the most, and, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, requires us to be okay with maybe looking really, really stupid at the most embarrassing moments is learning a new language. But it is so important. I have to say, even if you learn it badly, that's okay. As long as you're making an effort, just learning the language teaches you so much about the culture. It endears you to the people, even if they're not the warmest culture. The language is critical. And a lot of times adults say, oh, my window for language learning is over at age seven. But that's really not true. In fact, adults have an advantage over children in that if they have any insight into how they learn, they can harness meta-learning and figure out how they best learn the language. That's why right now I'm kind of, I would say, throwing myself into trying to learn German. But it's, I would say it's it's rewarding and disappointing at the same time in the sense of when you're just learning a language from scratch, you get a lot of like easy wins at, at at first because you didn't know any German. I didn't know any German whatsoever. And now I can speak, you know, I, some basic stuff and you also realize how far, how far you have to go. I find part of it is giving ourselves rewards because you're exactly right. I, I'm terrible at learning new languages and, and, and we lived in Cairo for a little while. And so I was, I was studying Arabic and trying to learn Arabic and it is a really hard language. And I found that the things that really helped me through those gaps that you're talking about, Sarah, was just giving myself rewards when, when I would make it through a day and I would go and I would have an interaction with a storekeeper and, and just recognizing that a month ago that interaction would have been terrible. And now it feels totally natural. And just saying like, I'm going to luxuriate in how far I've come. Part of reinforcing habits and, and language as a habit is letting ourselves have rewards and to recognize those rewards and to enjoy those rewards. 
I've been thinking about kind of doing um kind of uh, the stacking of the habits. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but I was because I play the cello. And so I was thinking, how can I would be great if I could join like a local music group or a string quartet. And I thought it could be a two for yeah. one that I could use it as an opportunity to practice German, even if I don't understand 80% of what they're saying. But it's a way for me to kind of partake in a hobby of mine, a passion of mine, and also, you know, practice German with other ways it doesn't feel so miserable to me. And I know, Charles, you you are a, a habit expert, but I think the reward in in learning a language, it's it's almost instant gratification because you can, as a result of learning some language, uh, you communicate better and you're, you're able to express yourself or get a piece of information. All you have to do is be able to speak Swiss German badly, but communicate your, your thoughts and get basic information. And that will go a hugely long way. I agree. Okay, so so all right, we've got this advice to learn the language. What else, Nassim, should should people people be thinking about? I would say once you make that generous friend who may or may not be a local, make sure that you don't stay in an expat bubble. Aim to have 50% local friends, 50% expat friends. How old is your daughter, Nassim? She's 11. She's 11. So you've, you've been doing this for a while and you've been doing it as a single parent. Tell me Correct. something. What, what do you wish you knew about raising kids abroad that you didn't know that you've learned since then? Well, I didn't know how easy it would be to be an expat with a child. I mean, a child is almost like having a dog when you're childless. It's a great way to meet people, especially when you're in a culture that's so child friendly. Also, as long as your child feels secure in your relationship, I think until they're a teenager or so, they don't really care where they are. I, I found it's been a big joy to to be an expat with a child. I do meet a lot of other people through her. They haven't turned out to be my closest friends, like the mommy friends or the child pickup line or whatever, but I, she has opened up my community in ways that it would have never been opened without being a mom. Yeah. I feel like I'm ready to move abroad. This advice has been wonderful. <laughs> but but let me take a big step back. If you could go back and talk to yourself, your younger self, and say, look, this is the thing that I think it's most important for you to recognize, what would that be? I think it would be around the lines of embracing the uncertainty and the loss of control and transforming a loneliness or a misery into adventure. Like when I felt like I was failing in Washington, D.C., I ended up writing a guide to what you should do when you come to visit Washington, D.C. Every place I've left, I've also written and tried to share with others about how to best adapt to this particular location. And so just sharing in that way, even if I don't have a particular audience right in front of me, but knowing that I could help someone in the future, that really helps me make meaning out of my struggle. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would say is it's been the best life ever, you know, living outside of the country with all of its struggles and all of its headaches and all of its dangers even. It's, it's been the most joyful life for me. 
If anyone is compelled or interested to do it, I would say do it. Just know that it's not easy and um, it takes some time to transition to be your happiest self. Yeah. And and Sarah, for you, it, it, at the beginning of the call, it sounded like you were a little hopeless. Do you feel like you're more hopeful now? I think definitely reaching out to and, and looking for who are those super connectors, because it's true, the the few people that I've met have all been really nice and really warm and kind of saying, whatever you need, I'll, I'll do for you. And then me kind of being a bit more nervous or shy to then go ahead and say, actually, you know, could you put me in contact with these 10 companies? So I think kind of being a bit more direct with people and finding as well as, as you guys said, you know, reaching out to my international community and offering my home and kind of having a little bit of a two-way connection. So I think that's something that I need to do and and I will I'm sure I will get something out of it. By the way, for both of you, uh Sarah, I have a good person, a very generous friend to introduce you to who lives in Zurich and actually is someone who is an expert in reinventing yourself uh with work. And Charles, I have another very good couple friend who moved from Brooklyn to Santa Cruz that I would love to introduce oh, you to. Oh, I as would well. love that. That would be wonderful. Yes, please do. That would be amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you to both of you. This has been such a great conversation and so helpful. Nassim, you're like a modern day Indiana Jones. I can't, when I grow up, I want to be like you. (laughs) Too kind. You're too kind. I really enjoyed this. And Sarah, Uh, I hope that you, um, I hope we talk a year from now and you've got, you've got a huge community and friends and everything is just wonderful. I'm not worried about Sarah at all. I'm really not worried about you. You already know this. You just needed to hear it and have it be reinforced. And you're probably a tired mom too. You know what I mean? Uh, you've you've got all the skills. You've done this before. You've got this. I promise you'll be better in a year, even without our advice. Oh, well, thank you so much. Are you making international-sized moves and need some help? Send us a note at howtoitslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001, and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. I know every podcast asks for this, but it actually helps enormously in getting the word out. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is Senior Technical Director. Carvel Wallace is our normal host, but this week, I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening. <laughs>